Welcome to Energy in Action. I'm your host, Marcy Young, and as a Mito patient myself, I appreciate you and the community you've helped us to build. This podcast honors the triumphs and struggles of patients and families affected by this disease and celebrates the work being done by doctors and researchers every day to make it a safer world for our people. We are a support group and a podcast focusing on all things related to mitochondrial disease. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Energy in Action. I am really excited to bring our next guest to our community. Her name is Christine Knox. She is a resident of the West Coast of Canada, so a little different vicinity than some of our other guests recently, but I am really excited for her to share her story with you. I think she's very inspirational. She has a lot to share. She does beautiful work, and I can't wait for everyone to to hear about all that she does. So Christine, welcome to our show. Thank you for letting me be part of it. Of course, of course. So, you know, I think the biggest question for most people when we do personal journey stories on energy and action is to kind of tell us about, you know, your childhood and what led you into the mitochondrial community. I first started noticing problems, or I guess my parents did. When I was about six weeks old, I had pneumonia. And it was so bad that they wouldn't even move me to the hospital. So they put up an oxygen tent over my crib, and I was there for a couple of weeks recovering. And then subsequently to that, my parents were noticing that I would go to sleep anywhere, on the doorstep, on the side of the road, in the grass, any, anywhere I happened to be that I would fall asleep right there. And I got lost actually one day. Uh, they couldn't find me at all. And eventually they did find me in my parents' bedroom closet. And I was there waiting for our kittens to be born. And I fell asleep. And then even in kindergarten, I was falling asleep in class. And uh, then I would come home and I would fall asleep in my dinner. There was a number of occasions where I actually landed in my food. And then it was it was just I didn't gain weight easily. I was very, very thin as a child and, and just really didn't have the same level of energy that other kids did. And I just thought, oh, everybody feels tired all of the time. Everybody struggles with doing things that are perfectly normal for everybody else, but it that wasn't my experience of the world. And I would get sick with colds and they would last for months rather than a few days or a week, like most people. And never really understood why. It was just kind of how I was. And then in 2011, I woke up this one day and I wasn't feeling well. I had H1N1. And that was the beginning of Mito for me. I never recovered. I was constantly tired. All of you know what tired means for Mito. It's like bone-crushingly tired. And I went to my doctor and I, you know, said, like, I'm just not recovering from this H1N1. What do I do? And he said, okay, well, let's do a bunch of tests. Did that. No answer. And so finally, he sent me to an internal medicine doctor who was able to quickly figure out what was going on based on my family history and my own personal history. And she said, 
I'm pretty certain you have mitochondrial disease. And that was the first time I'd ever heard mitochondrial disease. What the heck is that? And so she was able to come to that diagnosis really quickly because her mom actually has mito. And so she referred me over to the adult metabolic clinic. They did subsequent genetic testing and I was found to have a very rare mutation. Matter of fact, my family was the first to ever show up with this mutation. So that was kind of how I began my diagnostic journey. And I still don't have an absolute definitive diagnosis because mine is the first time that this mutation has been seen. So the doctors are being a little bit careful about saying 100% that it is, but they said it's extremely likely. Wow. So I wonder if you've even, if you would have even had the diagnosis at any point if you didn't contract H1N1. Yeah, I wonder about that too. I mean, it, it seemed to bring on a more significant set of symptoms for you. It did, yeah. Because within a matter of about a month, I started having atrial fibrillation. I was experiencing all sorts of problems like severe migraines, neuropathy. I can give you a laundry list of all my all my problems. Well, you're talking to the right audience. We know those <laughs> we know those symptoms. We know those feelings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it's really overwhelming, as I know everyone in the Mito community experiences that you know, you just get this cascade of symptoms and you just begin to adjust to one and then something else shows up. And it's, it's really overwhelming. So you've lived most of your life without that mitochondrial diagnosis. I did. Huh. And it must have been really scary for your parents, too. I mean, I guess maybe when you were such a young child, maybe you didn't know better that you wouldn't shouldn't be falling asleep in these locations. But your parents knew better. And their child was doing this. I mean, it had to have been very unsettling. Yeah. And I also was very delayed in walking. I was, I think I was 16 months when I started walking finally. Yeah. You know, I struggled to do anything. And then even doing chores as I got older, it was like, it was such an effort. I can remember that so clearly. It was like my sister would zoom through hers really quickly and I'd be struggling to do it. I'd do something and then I'd have to rest and I'd do something else and I'd have to rest. And it was just like, why? Why is this happening to me? Yeah, that's got to be a very troubling mindset as a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that was just my norm. I, I felt everybody felt like that. Right. And some of these mito symptoms, they are somewhat subjective, you know. Me and you will never know if I'm tired and you're tired, who has the more, as you use the term, bone crushing episode of fatigue. They're, they're tough symptoms to endure and they're tough symptoms to talk about on a daily basis. So I, I appreciate that you're willing to share your story with our community. So you grew up, you haven't had your diagnosis yet. And you created and grew a business that I find to be so fascinating. Tell us a little bit about it. So when I was in university, I was uh, doing my fine arts degree. And the school I was at didn't really quite provide what I was looking for. 
So I also needed to supplement my income as a student. So I started working in a, in a flower shop and discovered that I loved it because it was allowing me to be creative and ensuring an income. Whereas an artist, that can be very uncertain. So once I discovered my love of floral design, I had a long-term goal that I wanted to start my own business. Uh, but for a number of years, I worked for other florists and learned all the time more how to do my job in a really great way. And so in 2000, I decided that it was now and started my own floral company. And I had that going for 11 years until I got sick with Mito and had to suddenly shut it down. But I was really privileged to be a part of people's lives from birth until death. And that's a really special experience. That's really cool. From our first conversations about your business, I've been so interested. You know, it's not an occupation that you hear about all the time. But I mean, I remember when I got married and our florist had a big impact on the day and her attitude toward us and her creativity. And it really is difficult sometimes to to make a business out of, you know, your your passion of art. And I commend you because you were able to do that so successfully. Mm -hmm. I really miss uh, my business, especially miss the people. Yeah. And obviously the creative side of it as well is a huge component of anything that I do in my life. It's always focused around being creative and a floral designer, that is a perfect job for me, or it was when, when I was healthier. So it's its definitely something that I miss. I, I don't, honestly. Did you try to keep the business afloat? I did for about maybe about seven months, and it was extremely difficult. I just struggled every day trying to keep up with the pace that I had had previously. And it just, it, it was totally impossible. It didn't work together. Like your your condition and the business, you couldn't make them work together. They definitely do not work together, <laughs> <laughs> which was really incredibly frustrating when it was something that I loved. And I knew that people appreciated what I did. I had great clientele and they they loved what I did. And so... I felt bad. I felt like I was deserting them. Mm -hmm. And you, you gave up something that you were so passionate about and worked so many years to learn the business before you created one of your own. So I imagine that that was a really big challenge for you to kind of make that pivot in your life and move into other things. So kind of moving away from the professional life, in our earlier conversations, Christine, I thought one thing was really interesting that I was hoping you could share with our listeners is about how your location affects your medical care and, you know, how far you go for specialists and the details of the logistics. If you could kind of share some stories and, and insight on how all of that's been working for you and sometimes not working for you, I think our listeners would several of them would be able to relate to you in that regard. The adult metabolic clinic that I go to is in Vancouver. And um, to get to it, I have to drive for a half an hour to get to the ferry. Sometimes 
Well, if you make a reservation, you have to be there a half an hour ahead of the sailing. So if I'm going to take the first ferry, which is at seven o'clock in the morning, I have to be leaving home by six o'clock in the morning, which means I have to be up at five. And as my most mito patients know, five o'clock is not your friend. <laughs> so, so I drive for half an hour, get to the ferry. Uh, the ferry is an hour and a half. Uh, then it's another half an hour to drive to where the clinic is. And hopefully you can get parking. That can be challenging and not somewhere way far away from where I have to go because that's hard to walk that far. So it, because the first appointment is at nine o'clock in the morning, the logistics are that there's no way I can catch the ferry first thing in the morning and get to an appointment. And the clinic always wants to see me for the first appointment for some reason. So what that means is we actually go over the night before. My husband has to come with me because I just don't have the stamina to do everything that's involved in the travel and manage the appointment and everything like that. So I get to Vancouver, do the clinic appointment, which can take half a day by the time they do kind of all the testing and, you know, see where I'm at, see, see how much I've deteriorated, all those things. And then we have to turn around and go all the way back home again and reverse the whole process. And then the other aspect of it is because the clinic is so busy, I'm lucky if I can see my metabolic doctor like every two years. And oftentimes those appointments get rescheduled. So I just think, oh, good, I'm going to see them. And then, nope, nope, not this time. Wow. So is it that you can still go to the clinic, but you're just not able to see the doctor while you're there or the entire appointment at the clinic gets rescheduled? The entire appointment is rescheduled. That has to be so frustrating because your husband makes arrangements and you make arrangements. And again, it's not a, you know, 20, 30 minute drive. It's a lot of logistics. That's right. Yeah, it's it's very challenging because he has to take time off work and you know, we have to make sure that our schedule is freed up to make it work. And right now, my, my mom is in very serious health issues. And, and so leaving her right now, if I had an appointment at the clinic, would be, would be impossible. So it, it just presents all sorts of levels of difficulty. Wow. So are you able to communicate with the doctor from your home? I can send an email or call to the, the nurse educator and that she's kind of the conduit to the doctor. Okay. Uh, so if, if I send an email and I say, you know, I've got these concerns, then, you know, she'll get back to me, you know, whenever. And depending, sometimes she's very prompt at getting back to me and other times she isn't because I imagine she's got a lot of patients to have to deal with. So it, it, it can be challenging to, to get support. That has to feel really stum stumbling, like a, a big block in your way to the care that you know you need. Now, do you think that all throughout Canada, you'd have the same type of weight? I would suspect that's probably true because there are very few mito specialists. 
And there's only a number of centers of excellence for mito patients throughout Canada. Most of them are in the east. Uh, there's like Calgary, Toronto, there's another place in Ontario, and I'm blanking on where that is exactly. So those are kind of the main ones that I'm aware of, and there may be others, but that's what I know about. So this is really the only clinic in a very large region to service probably way too many patients. It is, exactly. And I mean, there's patients that come from way greater distance than what I do. Like there's some people that have to drive like eight hours to the clinic. So, you know, my experience is, is not great, but theirs must be way harder. Wow. And especially in the winter, I mean, they're driving through the mountains with snow and all sorts of nasty conditions weather-wise. So, right. You know, my my journey is is not as difficult as others. That's what's so tough, though, is that you know mitochondrial patients have these extra layers of worry and concern. You know, do I have the stamina? Do I have the energy? Do I, you know, will my eyes stay open enough for this ordeal? And then you factor in environmental conditions and parking and all of that, and it really does make going to an appointment very challenging. It makes doing anything very challenging. Yeah. The last time I went to the clinic, we stayed at a B&B, which is, I think, about maybe four blocks. And we can't move our vehicle because trying to get parking at the hospital is really expensive and, and um, difficult to get. So we usually leave our vehicle at the B&B and then walk to the hospital where the clinic is and the last time we did that it was absolutely horrid by the time I got to the clinic I was so exhausted and when they when the doctor actually came into to the appointment she she said you're not looking very well and I went no I didn't sleep last night because I was in so much pain then it was really hard getting here physically and and I am just done and she went yeah I can see that such a shame since you've had to walk away from your business and kind of reinvent your life a little bit what are some of the areas that give you the most challenge in your day-to-day life right now I think mostly it is managing my expectations of myself and uh the reality of of what I am able to do and it's, it's like this juggling act. Every day is different, as I'm sure every mito patient experiences. Like some days you'll have, you'll wake up and you think, oh, I feel good today. Then you do something and you go, okay, no, I'm done. <laughs> I need to go back to bed. And it's a constant juggling act of figuring out what do you, I need to get done today? What does my energy allow me to do today? And what do I balance in there? What do I have to give up to be able to do basic things? Like if I have a shower today, am I going to have enough energy to cook dinner? (laughs) Like it becomes as simple as that, that you're 
you're having to to make those trade-offs constantly right it is trade-offs and and it's tough because it's it's physical exhaustion but it's also mental and emotional exhaustion too completely i mean i I completely understand where you're coming from. It's really difficult. I I try to incorporate like a, some sort of short workout. And I was talking to my physical therapist recently and she said, well, how about you just work out on the days that you're not putting together dinner for your family? And it's like, sometimes that's so difficult, you know, because if I wake up and I feel like I have the energy, I, I want to do that short workout, you know, and I, I want to, it's so tough to know to push yourself, to not push yourself, um, and it's just a mental debate in my head at all times. It's like I have, you know, two little people sitting on my shoulders and it gets exhausting managing them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good way to put it. But it seems like you really have been able to find great meaning in your life since um, you have to say goodbye to your floral business. So can you tell me a little bit about Mito Quilt? Because I think it's really exciting. And I know a couple of them have been shared on our social media page. But let's get a behind the scenes look at how the program was developed and, you know, what it means to you. So when I was going through my diagnostic journey, I quickly realized how few people have ever heard about mitochondrial disease. And I and it was coming up to September to Mito Awareness Month and Week. And I was thinking, I've got to do something to create awareness. And what what could that look like? And I started brainstorming with a, a friend that has Mito. And funnily enough, we're both quilters. Wait, you have a friend who also has mitochondrial disease and you both enjoy making quilts. Yes. <laughs> Talk about weird, eh? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> just so strange. And so I started brainstorming, well, what can I do to make a difference? And my first thing always is I go to my creative side. And so I was talking to my friend Lisa and I said, what do you think about making quilts for mito patients? Because it just seems so synergistic. Like we're always cold. Having a, having a quilt is just such a special thing to have to make you feel warm and snuggly. And the other piece of it that I thought was if somebody had a mito quilt, they could use that to teach people about mito. They could you know, because people will comment about a quilt. That's a good point. It's a conversation piece. Yeah, so that can uh, generate a conversation. And they can tell the person that they're speaking with, oh, yeah, I got this quilt because I have Mito. And it was made for me by somebody who cares, another quilter, who cares about me as a person. And has learned about Mito in the process. So it's a twofold way of creating awareness so that quilter has learned about the disease. And then anybody that sees the quilt is learning about it as well. And all the while providing comfort to a Mito patient. That is so kind. So you mentioned that Mito patients are always cold. And sometimes we need the comfort of laying down with a blanket over ourselves, whether that's on a couch or in bed. So I think that it's really a meaningful gift to the 
to the patient. And you're right, it it could really stir up conversation and make it a little easier for me or someone else, you know, who has mitochondrial disease that maybe hasn't had the, you know, ability to start the conversation with a friend or a relative who's in our home. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's totally what, what, what my thought process was in gifting a quilt to someone with Mito. It was, it was going to, you know, provide all of those levels of support to them. And it's just, it's been such a gift to me to be able to be a part of that and to make that happen for people. Um, I know it's made such a difference uh, in people's lives that have received a quilt. I, I often get messages back from them and, and there's been lots of ones that I've just cried my eyes out when I've read them because they've just touched my heart so much. And it, and it's nice to know that you're making a difference for other people. For sure. And it's so incredible of you, someone who's literally been on this podcast talking about the lack of energy you have, that you have found the energy to do this for other people. I mean, that just says so much about you. Thank you. I don't think I'm anything special. Well, that makes you even more special. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So now at this point, you don't even make all the quilts, correct? There's groups. Tell us about that. What I realized, there was no way I was going to be able to make enough quilts to meet the need. And so what I wanted to do was enroll other quilters into producing the quilts. And of course, I do make quilts myself, but I knew that I couldn't make enough. And so... I started a website. I connected with other quilters, not only through the website, but also through my uh, quilt guild that I belong to. And then I just got the word out in various ways to other quilters. And then through that, they contact me and say, okay, we'd like to make quilts for you. So I have this one group in the States that make quilts for me on a regular basis for our Mito community. And the reason they came into it was within their parish, they had a family with mitochondrial disease who unfortunately lost two of their children to it. And then there's cousins as well that, that are in the same family that also have Mito. They made quilts for all of those people that they knew and they, but they wanted to reach out further to, to more mito patients. Uh, and so they've made, I, I can't even tell you how many exactly right now. I haven't done a tally recently, but anytime that I need a quilt made, I, I get a hold of the person that, uh, that I work with, Barbara, and say, Barbara, we've got another application. Can I leave it in your hands? And so her and her group of ladies just churn out quilts and they're beautiful. They're stunning quilts. And so it's great to know that I have that kind of support to make the program work. And then Mito Action and Mito Canada both help with the postage costs to send the quilts out because oftentimes a quilt could be pretty expensive to mail. Right, right. Especially if you're mailing it to the States and you're in Canada, there's added fees. 
Exactly. Yeah, so it just didn't make sense for me to send quilts from Canada to the U.S. At least when they're shipped within the U.S., the cost is a little bit more reasonable. And same with the ones that are for Canada. I, I ship those ones within Canada for, that I make myself or uh, are made here where I live. And then there's other quilters across Canada that also help too. So it just makes the work of producing a quilt much more feasible to have as many hands in it as possible. Right. It's a big task. I mean, how many hours do you put into each quilt? Some quilts can take, some some quilters work at various rates, but but like you can put together a quilt top if it's an easy pattern in a day, if you're really able to function at that level. And others, it may take them weeks to put a quilt top together. And then there's the quilting process itself. So, you know, sometimes it might take a month or more to make a quilt. Wow. So this is a very, very special thing that you've put together. I mean, what an incredible innovation for our community. So if someone wants to, would they nominate? How how, how does the process work? So we'll we'll include your website in the show notes. So just tell us what, what they'll need to do. Okay, so on our website, there's a button at the top where they can click to receive a quilt. And there's a number of questions that I ask. So generally, like, what is their diagnosis? So if they have, you know, MELAS or whatever, they can tell me that just so I I know that the person actually has mito. You know, they can tell me as much or as little as they like, as long as they have mitochondrial disease diagnosis. And when I say that, it, it even if their diagnosis isn't genetically confirmed, I, I don't care about that so much as that they're obviously struggling with mito symptoms. So that's as much kind of qualification, if you will. That you need to weed them out a little bit. You need to make sure that they're on the up and up. Yeah. So so they can self-nominate or somebody else can nominate them, them as well. And so, you know, they have to obviously provide all of their contact information I also ask them whether they give me permission to let Mito Action or Mito Canada know about them if they're wanting support. They're also giving permission to release their information to the quilter because the quilter is going to ship it, ship it to them directly. So, you know, I want to respect people's privacy, but at the same time, you know, we have to have information to be able to get a quilt to them. And then... Conversely, quilters can also use another button to say they want to make a quilt. And then that way I have a database of quilters that I can contact. And then I keep a a database of all the patients and who's received a quilt and when, who made the quilt, you know, all of that kind of information. So I'm able to track it. And right now we're just under 300 quilts that have gone out and There are some that have gone out internationally, not very many, but but, uh, (laughs) one went out to India, another one went to, I think it was England, and then another group started up as a result of my group in Australia, because shipping to Australia was going to be totally impossible, cost-wise. So they, they started up a group, and I'm not sure where they're at in terms of how many they've sent out to date, but uh, now and again we touch base and just, you know, see how it's going for them. 
You've created something so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's really awesome to to know that 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 impact has been made and that, you know, other people all over the world are having their disease, you know, like something tangible to represent their disease that they can use. Something to honor them in their home. Yeah, to honor them exactly. And that's that's what it is for me too, is is that whole piece of of the fact that they know when they receive a quilt, somebody's really put a lot of thought and love into that quilt. So when they receive it, they're being wrapped in warmth and in love. And how much more special can that be? Oh, you are such a kind person. I would love to meet you in person. We we couldn't live farther apart, but I feel like we would have such an enjoyable time together. We would. Of course, with COVID, everything got messed up, but I used to go to the um, UMDF conferences. And I don't know if you've ever been to, to them too, but I've met lots of mito patients through it. And, and it's been such a privilege to get to to know others that are dealing with things oftentimes worse than what I deal with. Right. You know, and I mean, it's just nice to be able to connect with a community that really gets it, that really understands what we're dealing with. Because, you know, you can talk to anybody in your life and they go, well, what is it? What, what, what's wrong with you? And they'll look at you and they'll go, oh, but you look so good. I know it's so challenging. I was outside with a neighbor yesterday and a neighbor that I absolutely love and she's such a kind person and she was telling me about a vacation she was just on and I told her I said I'm going to have to get the rest of the the you know vacation updates from you the next time we're out together. I said my back is starting to really hurt and we'd only been out for a few minutes and she said there's nothing they can do for that and I'm like oh you don't even know. <laughs> there you know it's it's so much there's so many layers to this, you know, but if I were to be out with you and said something like that, I wouldn't have to feel that way or or you wouldn't second guess me, you know. It's just it's a challenging heavy weight we all live with, but I think you've really created such beauty and meaning out of everything you've you've overcome and I really appreciate you. Well, I've always had a spirit of wanting to give back to my community to, you know, and every aspect of my community, so my church community or or uh the community I live in. I have done lots of volunteer work over the years. And one of them that I had to give up once I got sick has been one that I've really missed a lot. And that's um, anytime anybody has a fire or any kind of other emergency where their home is damaged, I, I would go and give assistance uh, through the community, or sorry, through the province. We had a program called Emergency Social Services. And so whenever there was disasters, we would we would go and provide the all of the support that was necessary to get them through the first 48 hours after a fire. Oh, my gosh, that's a huge responsibility. Yeah, it, it was. But it was so rewarding. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I I was at fire scenes that that, you know, people were injured or they lost a beloved pet or things like that. And it was just. It was always so heartwarming to know that you could do a little bit to make a difference. And so that's that's kind of the culture that I come from is it's doing 
anything that I can do to make a difference in people's lives, I've always wanted to do. And so now my focus is on my Occults of Hope and making sure that, that I can make a difference for our community. It's re- it's so wonderful. And I do want to let our audience know, too, that you can commission Christine for artistry work um, in terms of like she loves to draw. She can, She's really specialized in drawing animals. So if anyone has a pet or their friend has a pet, you can send her a picture and she can work with you. This is very separate. This isn't a donated item, but I think that she has a lot to share. She's shown me some of the work she's done. And I think that anyone would be lucky to have a picture like that in their home. So keep that in mind as the holidays are coming up. So I, I thank you so much, Christine. We'll have all the information about Mito Quilts and how to contact you about, you know, to commission a, a piece of artwork in the show notes. It has been a pleasure having you on Energy in Action today, Christine. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Oh, thank you for having me, Marcy. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. I encourage you to browse other Energy in Action podcast episodes. I'm so inspired by the resilience of those in previous episodes, and I know you will be too. 